Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. So welcome to another edition of the Tourpreneur podcast. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Trish Higgins from Shenmark Capital. Trish has spent the best part of 10 years at Shenmark Capital, and Shenmark Capital is an investment fund that seeks to acquire small to medium-sized businesses and tour operators. They specifically look for tour operators that have the following characteristics. An established track record of consistent profitability. How many of us have that? High levels of reoccurring revenue. How many of us have that? They look for strong local and regional market and presence and establish cohesive teams of employees committed to the future. Now, Trish is so good at this stuff. This is the second time we've in, invited her back to the podcast. Way back then, I think it was podcast 159, Shane spoke to Trish on some of this stuff before. But since then, because she's a busy girl, she's been out and acquired another couple of tour operators. I believe you got a tour operator in Maine and one down in Florida. Is that correct, Trish? Yeah, that's correct. We bought uh, a tour operator that has um, two boats down in Florida. Um, and then we uh, we already had a boat tour business up in Maine, um, and we bought another one. So we've been busy. So you've been busy. It sounds mm-hmm. so it sounds like it for sure. I also attended Trish's workshop down in San Diego, the last arrival event, which I thought was one of the best workshops I've ever mm-hmm. attended at an arrival event. So there's another compliment for you, Trish. It really was excellent content. This is a sector of our industry I'm particularly interested in just because my own background of acquiring businesses, selling businesses, starting businesses. And as I'm often heard in the tourpreneur community saying, if I had my time again, that's code for being old, I would buy more businesses than I would start. I was found doing startups much more challenging, much, much harder work than I did from acquiring an operator, then building that operator and be a, a better operator. But that may be just would be just me. So today we're going to be speaking to Trish about her recent experiences of buying these couple of operators she's had. You don't just go out and buy two operators. To buy two, you have to look at lots. So I'm sure you did look at lots, Trish, and I'm sure you've got quite a few lessons for us. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, so Chenmark has, um, is, it's really a family company. Uh, it's run by myself, my husband, and my brother-in-law. Um, and we started back in 2015, um, not in the tourism space at all. We actually started in landscaping. Um, and we're really just looking to buy businesses that we think we can own for the long term. 
Um, and, uh, you know, we, we now own several businesses in, in different sort of sectors of the economy. Um, but we uh, sort of stumbled onto the tourism space um, through a boat tour business that was for sale kind of just right in our backyard that we were introduced to um, in 2019. And uh, we kind of got to know the owner, got to know the operation and said, you know, we think people are going to be coming to Maine and going out in the water for, you know, the foreseeable future uh, and uh, that it might be a good fit uh, for, uh, for for the company here. And so uh, we acquired that business uh, about a week before COVID hit, which was not a great time uh, to, to buy it. Um, but, you know, now that that's a little bit in the rearview mirror, um, you know, the COVID year was, was a difficult year, but it in some ways, we learned a lot about the business. Um, and then we've been kind of building on on the team since, you know, and, and our offerings since then. Um, but to buy that business, you know, we look at so many, so many um, to find, you know, probably a, a hundred or a thousand to find one that, that fits for us. Um, you could kind of define, look at a company in a lot of different ways, which is why that number is a kind of a little um, squishy. Uh, but, you know, there, there has to be a perfect match of a business that we find interesting. Um, so there are lots of businesses out there that are, are great businesses, but just don't really fit with our, you know, framework for the types of businesses we're looking for. So we have to find one that fits. Um, and then we have to find it at uh, the time when an owner is interested in actually selling because, you know, some people aren't interested in selling. Um, and then assuming that we're both interested in a transaction, then we have to agree to a price and terms, which is also very, uh, can be very difficult to do. Um, and so a lot of things really have to go right. Um, there's a lot of timing and some luck involved and just kind of meeting people at the right time. Um, we're working with owners who are looking to retire and so, you know, I might talk to one person today that says, you know, I have no interest in selling my business. And then, you know, something could happen in their life two months from now and they could say, you know what, now's the time. And so there's a lot of factors that come around. So for us and our job here is just to make sure people know that we're an option um, and kind of know uh, what we're looking for and then um kind of get our name out so that people know that, if, you know, if and when they do want to retire, you know, we might be a good person to talk to. Sure. When I, when I think back, when I was buying businesses, I had, a, I had lots of systems, but very simple system I had, which is not one I'm about to recommend, by the way, is the, I always looked at three types of businesses to buy. There was a great business, and I was never interested in great businesses to buy. One, that would be very expensive. And two, the upside would be quite limited because they were mm -hmm. such a, a great business. And then you'd look at business and I would class it as a good business. But you could see some upside in it, but it was a good, solid business. And if I was advising folks to buy businesses, that's the sort of business I would be advising people to buy. Get a good, solid business with some of the characteristics we mentioned earlier. Uh, still has upside for all the effort and time you're going to put in, plus the capital you're going to get in to get the uh, down get the business moving and then there was a poor business businesses that i look at that were more or less broken and that was my sort of business uh, i'm an engineer going back for years so i like fixing broken things uh, poor businesses were always attractive to me but i would not recommend that 
unless you really what you know what you're doing because buying a poor business means you get it cheap but you have so much work to do to put it back on in some ways it's a bit like buying a, a startup that's so far down the line but it's still it's still pretty it's still pretty broken uh, so it's not one I recommend but it's one that my personal makeup is the, the place I like to play where is it that Shenmark and yourself plays or not Lana? yeah um quite quite a similar sort of framework uh the it's you know great if we can find a wonderful business but as sort of long-term owners and we're sort of managing our own and um, employees are shareholders here so um, we sort of have a responsibility not to be paying uh, you know sort of really really high valuations for things because we need it to kind of work for for the long term we're not looking to buy a business grow it quickly and then sell it to somebody else you know we're, we're looking to own it for the long term and so Typically speaking, really great businesses are too expensive for us, um, similar to what your experience. Um, and sort of on the other end of the barbell, um, we have uh, not in the tourism space, but certainly uh, fallen sort of to the uh, the siren song of the the cheap business that looks like it has easy things to um, to fix. Uh, and I think that there there are people who certainly do that and do it really well. It's not really how we're oriented because it takes a lot of time and a lot of work and you really need to go in with a plan and kind of, and the right team to help you do it. And uh, it's just, we found it to be more of a distraction and a headache than something that really is exciting for us. Uh, And so we end up sort of staying away from the really cheap, sort of distressed uh, uh, companies. Um, I think that earlier on when we started, those were more interesting than they are now uh, to us. Uh, And so we really stay in the middle. Um, Companies that are good, solid businesses, um, because we're working with people who are retiring owners, they have typically been in the business for some, you know, 20, 30 years. And there's often things that can be done in the business to, to, to make it better, but the owners are tired or they know that those things could happen, but they're like, I don't want to spend the time doing that. Or, you know, it's working just fine right now. Let's not sort of uh, upset things. And, um, or sort of, I have other stuff going on in my life. I kind of have one foot out the door or I'm just kind of keeping it run right. And so those are the the businesses that are most interesting to us because we can kind of bring new energy into the business. And sometimes that involves sort of, yeah, you know, this system really worked great 20 years ago when you put it in place and you did all that work to put it to, to sort of get it um, to be part of the, the, you know, the business. But you know, things have changed since then. And there are other systems that might, you know, be better. So an example would be, I see a lot of businesses that do payroll by hand and have sort of manual uh, time clock, uh, sort of, you know, punch in, punch out type things. And honestly, those do work. um, But there are, you can save yourself a lot of time from a sort of employee management um, system if you have you know, an electronic uh, clock in and clock out that syncs automatically to your payroll. 
you know, that can save hours of work a week of often sort of tedious, annoying work. Um, so those are the sorts of things that we look for in a business say, you know, we could kind of come in and change, not change sort of the core of the business, but sometimes, you know, some things like how you're tracking employee, uh, you know, t- time tracking or um, how are you um, keeping your books? You know, like, are you really using sort of all the technology that's out there? Are you using, you know, credit card readers? Um, are you using tablets for food and beverage on, um, on you know, wherever your, you know, point of yeah. sale is? Those sorts of things that uh, some businesses just haven't really uh, updated in the past 10 or 20 years and can really add, um, you know, some efficiency to, to the company. So those are the sorts of things that we find interesting, which I'd say, like, is that in that solid middle good business. And um, I think the, the main thing, sort um, last thing is that we think about it is, you know, you just want to make sure that you're not paying an A plus price for a B business. Uh, and so, you know, you, for a, a B business, you know, you pay a, a B price. Um, and, and the hard part, kind of going back to getting a deal across the finish line, is um, most business business owners think their business is A plus kind of regardless. Yeah. Um, and so that's where you need to do a little work to say, you know, this is what I think your business is worth. It might not be worth as much as you think it is. Um that's typically the conversation that we're having. So one of the questions, that's the first question I ask operators, and I've been asking them in the Tupreneur group when they have posted questions about selling their business. The first question I asked is, have, have you prepared your business for sale? Uh, so of all the businesses you've looked at, I'm not going to say how many I found prepared for sale. Of all the businesses you looked at, how many had actually did the legwork to prepare the business for sale? I'd say less than 10%, probably. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I found this amazing. Uh, good for buyer, bad for seller. Uh, if business is not prepared for sale, it, one, it makes the, the duration of the transaction or the deal stretch out much longer. And the whip hand is automatically given to the buyer mm-hmm. because the owner hasn't put the hours in to prepare the business to sell. Uh, and it is, as I'm sure you're going to highlight, I, having sold my own businesses, preparing a business for sale is not a quick thing. It, it's, it's quite an in-depth, protracted thing that should probably be started years ahead of the actual sale point. So you're building up all the documentation and as you go and it becomes a system. So the fact that we're on the same page there, that most owners haven't, prepared the business for sale, what would be your advice to entrepreneurs listening in here? Even if they're not thinking of selling their business at this moment, but some of them may have been gone 10 years, some of them may have been gone 15 years, the time will come when they all have to get out of the business. Sure. So I, if I'm being sort of uh, tough, I'd say that if you're running your business well today, it's ready to, you're ready to sell it. So a lot of the things that you do to sort of get a business ready to sell means having information that is available and understandable and accurate. And so, you know, an example is, you know, I I looked at um, a business and, you know, their books, you know, I couldn't, 
I, I couldn't really get any reliable information from their financial statements. Um, and I would argue that, you know, whether you're selling your business or not, you should want to have, you know, accurate financial statements, but, you know, everyone's business, they can do whatever they want with their own business. But when you're looking to sell somebody, me or somebody like me is going to ask you for, um, probably, uh, historical financial statements, um, a list of your capital expenditures, um, which is, is, is not a huge ask, but for some people that can, they can say, oh, well, I'll get back to you in like two or three months once I've got that already. And to me that says, you know what, like you're really not sort of running um, the business as well as you probably should be if it takes you that long to kind of pull all that information together. And I, I get it. I mean, if you've been running your business for 20 years, you know, the financial, like you feel in your gut how the business is doing, you know, the financial statements you're probably not really looking at. Um, but for somebody coming in from the outside, that's like the number one thing they're going to be looking at. Um, and so you need to have those sort of ready to go. Um, so that, that's the big thing. And then another really big thing that really hangs us up is uh, people running personal expenses through the business, uh, which uh, pretty much every small business owner does in some capacity, um, but not having uh, documentation or sort of justification available for those things. So if you are going to do that saying, okay, well, I'll just make up numbers. My business has $500,000 of, of, uh, earnings. But if you look at the financial statements, it looks like we have none because I actually run my personal boat through the business and my daughter's on salary, but she doesn't work here. And we took a trip to Disneyland and blah, 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 blah. And so for a person coming in from the outside, it can be really hard to sort of separate personal from business. And so you really get the true understanding of, you know, what the what an accurate you know, reflection of the financials are. So I think people need to realize that um, one, it takes time to sell your business. And two, if you don't have your financials sort of in order, it's going to take, I would say, probably a year longer um, than it should to sell. Um, and you're also probably not going to get the highest valuation for your business because you're going to, you know, the, 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 the buyer's going to have lots of questions. It's going to reflect poorly on your business. So those are big things. Get your books in order and realize it's going to take a while. And I do have some issues with entrepreneurs on this because in reality, it doesn't matter how long you've been gone. The technology's there. The software's there now. The skill base is there. And bookkeepers and accountants, if you need there, I mean, if you're running a business and it's serious, you should really be getting a month, a set of monthly accounts every month, and then certainly a quarterly set of accounts, and then yearly you have to have a set of accounts because you have to, you have to submit them. So it, it is you're never going to maximize the profitability of your business if you're not addressing the numbers on a regular basis. And I know we all get to the stage where we understand the numbers just because of experience and time. But just by knowing it in your head and feeling you're doing okay, you're going to miss so many opportunities to increase your profitability. Uh, and the other thing from experience, if you don't stay on top of it, your costs start to run away with themselves. The costs, 
the costs just creep up and creep up and you haven't really factored in that capital cost that you're going to buy that other boat or that other bus. You haven't really factored in the fact the real cost of these other two employees, not the amount you're paying them, but the real cost because there's lots of costs on top of employees that you pay because you haven't really studied the numbers on a monthly and quarterly and year and yearly basis. So that that would be my kind of first comment on the financial side. And I, I've certainly found from buying and selling, yes, it's the numbers first. Everybody wants to see the numbers, which I totally get because you're not going to dig any deeper if the numbers if they don't stack up, and I'm sure we'll come back to numbers later on this. The other thing I think operators need to be aware of is a lot of the potential buyers are not in this industry. Mm -hmm. right? There's people who have come to a certain point in their life from different sectors, different industries, maybe been made redundant or got a payout or made some money in another sector or have been in big corporate paying jobs and they just want to get out because they're burnt out and they want to do something different and lifestyle. So they have a bunch of cash. And they want to get into this industry, but they know nothing about it. So they're probably capable of reading the numbers, but they're not capable of coming in and running your business. Mm -hmm. So there, there needs to be an operation manager manual built up over, certainly not when you decide to run the business, but years before actually documenting what it is your business does. And you have to treat it in a way that this is to be given to someone who understands nothing about your food tour business or your boat business or your adventure business or your ski business. It has to be a step-by-step -step guide for someone to actually run the business. And I've yet to find operators who actually do that. I think, I mean, this would kind of go back to the, you know, you're running your business. You think, you know, I'm not going to retire for 10 years or, you know, maybe I'm never going to retire um, but if 90% of the information about how to run your business is in your head, then you really don't have a, a business. You have just sort of a guy with a job. And that's a big thing that we try to distinguish about is what, is this an actual business or is this just one person who knows everything? And if that person goes away, there really isn't a business. And so if you're trying to sell your business, what you're, you're selling is something that exists without you there. And even if you're staying on to help in a transition or all those sorts of things, a, a buyer is going to want to know, you know, can this business survive without the owner? And I think that even if you're a small business owner who has no intention of selling, do, putting together, you know, sort of basic manuals for all the processes is a good thing. Because what happens if you're in a car accident, right? Like what happens if you get sick? Something happens. One of your family members might need to step in. You know, there might need to be you know, somebody come in to help run the business. And if you have been storing all the information about how everything works in your head and been doing it all yourself, um, then you have a problem. And so that's not just something that you take, you know, an hour and write all down. Um, it's something that takes um, time to sort of develop those sorts of things. And ideally, you're also training other people in the business how to, um, how, how a lot of other things run. You're not just doing everything yourself. So an example is the, the first business we brought up it bought um, up in Maine. The owner was very involved um, on the business side, um, but he had sort of a second in command who ha he had been training basically like every day for the past 
15, 20 years. And that individual was staying on. And that person knew a lot of stuff to do with the business that if the owner left, you know, a, a new person could come in and learn from that other individual. So it's both having the manuals, but then also trying to train some of your people um, on how some of these things work so that if you're not there, the business can still continue to operate. Going back to some of the financials, and again, from businesses that have run the rule over myself, and it isn't the majority, I'm not going to say a percentage, but the majority of business that I looked at, they would come up with, like, we're doing X revenue, X hundred thousand, a million, and then there's another hundred thousand or two hundred thousand in cash. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's interesting, but I'm not paying for cash because there is no evidence of cash. And right. if, if you have had cash, well, you've had the value of cash. Therefore, as a buyer, you don't buy cash. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, this is, in, especially in the tour industry, because you are handling cash a lot, you know, people paying for things or whatever. You, um, you, you come up with this issue a lot because the, you know, I, I looked at one boat tour business where I would say he was probably keeping, if I had to estimate, you know, 60 to 70% of the revenue was being paid in cash because it was um, a lot of walk-ups, a lot of, you know, he only had a cash bar. He like all sorts of, he sort of pushed the business towards cash and he was getting a huge amount of value in cash. But if you looked at his, and I, I, I would estimate he was probably making $500,000 a year total in revenue, keeping most of it in cash. And then when you look at his financials, it looks like he makes, you know, 80 or, you know, 90,000 in revenue and however many thousands in, uh, in profit. And so his business looks dramatically smaller than I think it actually was. As a buyer, it would be very hard for me to get comfortable with figuring out a, a, a value for that because even though he might say, yeah, all this cash is here. I'm like, I like, can you prove it? You know, like, I don't know. I both don't know what revenue was paid for in cash, but I also don't know what expenses were paid for in cash. So, you know, could there be expenses that maybe there were just some employees that you paid cash under the table you know, there's no documentation or record of that. So it's it's very hard to buy a business where there's a, you know, a lot of the value is in these cash transaction and they could exist and they could be great, but they could not. And that just represents a lot of risk for me as the buyer. And honestly, at, at this point, it's just something that we're going to walk away from because it's such a hassle to figure out. And the, the, the difference in value for the business, because the owner knows they're getting all that money. And so they're like, well, hey, no, my business has whatever, $500,000 of revenue. And I'm like, well, no, your business actually has $100,000 of revenue. And so to figure out a price point um, that makes sense uh, for is, is, I think, basically almost impossible and not worth the effort. And so I think if somebody's serious about selling their business, you kind of have to make a decision, you know, you're clearly doing the tax things to, to sorry, the, the cash thing to avoid paying taxes. Mm -hmm. So you can't maximize 
your personal income through not reporting cash sales um, and also maximize the value of your business in a transaction. You kind of don't get it both ways. And yep. so I would argue that if you're actually reporting things properly, you're going to make up for it when you sell your business and you get the full value that you want. But that is more of a long-term perspective. And unfortunately, many small business owners tend to be more focused on kind of the short-term cash in my pocket. Um, so that can create a real problem. And there are some businesses out there, honestly, I just don't know how they're ever going to sell themselves because um, yeah. it's such a problem. Yeah, I've actually seen it getting less than it was, but that's maybe just because of society moving more and more to ele electronic payment rather than cash payment. But I agree in this sector particularly, it is still a lot of cash getting with walk-ins, a lot of cash flying about, which mm -hmm. which you can't pay for it twice. And it does make a lot of deals collapse because the buyer won't pay for the cash and the seller values the cash as, as part of the business. Talking about the value business, and this is a question that comes up every week in the Tourpreneur Group, how do I value my business. Mm -hmm. For people who have never sold a business before and they see all these things on the news from different industries and different sectors and software that have annual reoccurring revenues that get multiples of 8, 10 on the revenue, not the profit. And A year ago, some software were getting multiples of 20 on the revenue. I don't think that would happen today, but again, not the profit. Whereas we're in a business, tourism, uh, just discussed a bit about cash, we're really selling businesses on a multiple of profit, not multiple as much as I'd love to be selling on a multiple of revenue. We're really in the game of selling on a multiple of profits. So could you just talk a little bit, Trish, on how you go about value in a business? Sure. So yeah, we are certainly looking at a multiple of profits, um, which is um sometimes more complicated because, you know, as sort of people are doing these sort of things with their financials, uh, especially the pushing personal expenses through their rep, their expenses or their earnings look lower. Um, and so that's where we have to kind of go through the, the dance of figuring out what actually run rate earnings are. Um, and so we look at things as a multiple of, of earnings. Typically, our rule of thumb is three to five times earnings, depending on the, the value of the business. Um, the hard part that we have found for um, asset heavy tour businesses, so boat tours would be an example, maybe uh, like bus tours, things like that, is that um, a lot of, or, or not a lot, some business owners don't necessarily think about the return they're getting on their assets. Yeah. And so we've had situations where, let's say I've looked at a business where there's, again, let's say 500, half a million of earnings, which is a great business. That's awesome, right? That, that person's doing an, an awesome job. So $500,000 of earnings, let's say I'm going to put three times on it. I'm going to say this business is worth a million and a half dollars. That's just baseline example. Um, but they have a boat that's worth two and a half million dollars. So they bought this boat and they have been doing, you know, whatever to the boat. And in, in a lot of cases, the, the boat can be worth more than the business, which is a tricky spot to get yourself into, because in that situation, you may be better off financially 
to just see if you can sell the boat outright and shut down the business, which is sad because, you know, I always am a fan of businesses staying, you know, around, but that is something that I see a lot in um, boat tours. I would say probably 70% of the boat tour operations I look at from my perspective, the, the value of the assets, specifically the boats is higher than the value of the cash being generated from those boats. Um, from my perspective. So it, that, that can be a really tricky thing. So you kind of, when you're coming into, um, to, to sell, you need to think about where are my earnings and be aware of, okay, someone's going to look at my earnings and the multiple my earnings, but then also what's the value of my assets and, um, you know, are, are the assets worth more than the business is worth? And some people like to say you should pay a multiple of the earnings and you should buy my boat separately. So they say like, oh, well, you should pay one and a half million dollars for the earnings of the business. And then you should also pay two and a half million dollars for my boat. And I would say that if you're using the boat to generate the earnings, the boat is the business. That would be my perspective on that. It could be a little different if there's, I'm trying to think, if there are some assets in your business that you think are worth a lot, but you're not actually using them to generate the cash flows in your business, then often the way we bridge that gap is to say, okay, well, we're just buying this one boat to and the name brand and all that sort of stuff. But you've got this other stuff that isn't really used in the business. You think it's worth a lot. You should just go sell that to other people. So those are sort of the, um, like an example would be, I've looked at a, a boat tour operator that, has way too many, I think way too many boats for what they actually do. So let's say they have six boats. If you look at their business, they really only need three to operate. They just have these extra ones because um, maybe they do a couple of like additional harbor tours or something that don't really generate a lot. And they like to have a backup boat and all this stuff. In that situation, I would say, listen, we're just going to buy the name brand, all, you know, everything associated with the business and these three boats, these other ones that you think are worth a lot, you should try to sell them in an area, like try to sell them down in wherever, another area that's not competitive with ours and get the full value for them there. So that's sometimes how you can kind of bridge a gap with that. But that's the big thing that I'm always looking at when I'm looking at specifically boat tour businesses is what's the value of the boats? What's the value of the business? Do those things kind of come together? Coming out of COVID, a lot of asset-based businesses may have went into COVID with next to no debt or little debt, but they're coming out of COVID with significant debt. Sometimes they have to refinance the assets, mm-hmm. like the actual boats or the buildings or whatever it was, their assets that were helping them to generate the revenue. Quite, I certainly have seen globally a lot of refinancing of assets. So the businesses are now in recovery stage. They've now got finance some of them significant finance on their assets. How do you deal with that when you're looking at purchasing? Yeah. So that's also a tricky thing because sometimes, you know, the, we have looked at a lot of businesses, not not, tourism as well as pretty much everywhere where you realize that people have taken out so much debt on their assets because it's available and and it's cheap that once you factor in the value of the business, and you, let's say you 
you know, let's use the the business I think is worth a million and a half dollars and they have a $2 million vote. Um, I pay them a million dollars, a million and a half dollars in cash, but they might have a million dollars of debt left on the boat. Um, and so when you think about the cash, someone's going to walk away at the end of the day, sometimes it can be almost zero if they have a lot of debt on the business because we're not taking over the debt. They have to pay it off. Um, and so that can be a very difficult thing, particularly when people are approaching retirement age um, because they're saying, uh, you know, for my retirement plan, you know, I need whatever to sell my business for a million dollars to have my retirement funds um, as an example. And so you, they say that. And so they're looking for that amount in their business. But then if they also have a million dollars of debt they need to pay off, then all of a sudden they need to sell their business for two plus million dollars um, so that they can kind of get to their like the net amount of their retirement nut, which sometimes um, that corresponds with a value that we have in mind. And sometimes it does not. And so that's always a, a tricky thing. And honestly, it's it's something for people, again, going back to planning thinking ahead, you know, even if you're running a boat tour business in your, or a whatever business, zipline business, a food tour, whatever it is, uh, and you're 30 years old, you know, at some point you're going to want a nest egg and you should be thinking about, you know, how much, you know, if I'm taking out debt, is that to help grow my business? Which fine. Maybe it is. Um, but you're going to need to pay it back at some time. And, and, and how is this going to um, like translate into the, the value I get at the end of the day? I think it's something to just be aware of um, kind of at all times um, because sort of the, you, you need to be thinking about the net after you pay back everything you owe as, as yeah. what one you're of the, doing. One of the things uh, I speak to operators about, and I get it, they're so passionate about their business and they go all in particularly if they get past the five-year point, the 10-year point, and then it's all in. We're going for the 20, 25 years, maybe 30 years. So they're all in. Everything the business generates gets reinvested back into the business. They take some money out in wages and all the things you were talking about earlier. Uh, they may take some dividends out if it's having good years and profit. But on the whole, it's reinvest in the business, reinvest in the business, build the business that's bigger and better. And they're all in on this final value where someone like yourself comes along and if you can get an agreement, all is great. But you and I both know the amount of businesses that do not sell is a significant number. It's the bigger majority of businesses don't sell rather than them. Uh, certainly in the UK where I'm a buyer, it's less than 10% sell within two years of going on the market. That's across all, all businesses. So, it's a high stakes game to go all in to plan in 20 years time, I'm going to sell my business and reinvest in it. So I consistently say to operators, and it's a personal choice to everybody. If your business is doing well and you're making significant profits, maybe the strategy for you is to take the money out of the business on a consistent time, period of time over X number of years and reinvest in other sectors, reinvest in other investments, more because travel and tourism is a volatile business. 
And if you're consistently making good money, sometimes the strategy is to take out, reinvest in real estate, reinvest in the market, reinvest in whatever. But something is a bit more secure and stable. And then the once you get to that 25-year point, you've still got a business to sell, but you're not that hung up about on it as your point is they need to get the million dollars for the right. retirement fund, it becomes a bit easier because you have another retirement fund that's been built up by the business over a significant number of years. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, it, listen, you know, at Chenmark, we're investing most of the profits back into the business to grow the business. So mm -hmm. I, I can't say that, um, you know, we're, we're taking huge amounts out to diversify away. That's certainly not our, our overall corporate strategy. That said, you know, we're still um, making sure that we're saving for retirement. And, you know, it's not as if, if, you know, any business, no matter what could go to zero, like any business. Yeah. And so you need to always be thinking, okay, well, if my business went to zero, what do I have? Do I have you know, a little bit of a, a nest egg that I've been able to save up? Um, do I have, you know, money in retirement accounts that's sort of building and working in the background and I'll touch in 30 years and all of those things? I think you need to balance it. And I also think if you're balancing it, you're, you're more likely to make smarter decisions in your business because you're not feeling like, the stress of, oh, well, I need to like take this risk to do this extra, maybe new risky purchase or new market or new offering um, to get it to where I want it to go. Um, you might be able to be a little bit more patient and kind of in building up your business if you're making sure that you're sort of being taken care of sort of outside of the business, a little diversified outside the business, you can feel a little more patient, like not like you have to take big risks and stuff like that. So I would say like for, for what we do, it is, you know, certainly a huge portion of our, you know, net worth is still tied to our business, but we're still making sure on the side that if something were to happen there, we can, uh, like, we'd be okay. Um, and so I think that that's especially um, important for these business owners. And I think most of the ones that we have actually transacted with, like we've actually gotten a deal done they've been business owners who have had good businesses, but they have, they've taken money out over time. They've bought real estate. They've invested in other things. They sort of, they still have a number, but it's not, um, you know, I, I have worked with people where that number is, you can feel the stress and anxiety around having to get a certain number. Otherwise sort of all of your retirement plans fall apart. Um, and when you're transacting with someone, you know, that that's a that can be very stressful for that person. And, and that stress bleeds into the transaction, which sometimes means it doesn't go the way you want it to go. Um, and I kind of think of um, uh, um, selling your business. It's sort of it's a little bit, I'd say, like dating, like the less interested you are, the more interested the buyer is yeah. um, <laughs> as a as a general uh uh, dating rule, I'd say. Um, and so if you're sort of feeling desperate, like you need to sell your business for a certain amount, this, this, the, the buyer is going to pick that up from a mile away. And they're either going to say, no, thank you. I'm not interested. Or they're just going to go real hard at you. Um, and uh, you're, it's probably not going to work out well. So yeah, running your business to your point where you have your 
financials in order. You've trained some other people in the business to do things you can't do to make sure you're paying yourself along the way. So you still have a little diversification and nest egg. Those are all the things you should be doing now so that in however, you know, tomorrow, you know, one year or 20 years from now, you sort of set up your business and your personal finances in a place so that you can come to the table from a position of strength. Leading in, kind of leading on from that is expectations. And I see this quite a lot. And again, I totally understand why most people selling the business haven't sold a business. Therefore, I get this. But whatever value they've got in their head, a million bucks, 500,000, 1.5 million, there's a naivety around that they're going to get all that money in one go up front. Right. <laughs> Whereas we know like, I've certainly not bought a business where I've paid the full amount up front in one go. It's been financed in certain ways, often by the seller financing. And businesses have sold. It's been the opposite deal. I'm still getting paid out and businesses have sold recently. So it's this, could you just talk about the, the actual, a, a deal's been done, everybody's agreed, but when does the payments happen? Right. And this is, I think, an interesting mechanism because, I mean, when I started, it's like, oh, someone's going to pay, you know, a million dollars, you just, you know, a million dollars goes into your bank account. But as it happens, um, you know, the we like to see seller financing in all of our deals um, where the, you know, the seller is providing financing for the transaction of some portion. Um, and for us, that one, it helps the deal happen. Um, and two, it also allows us, um, it, it, it provides the buyer with a little bit of confidence. The seller is selling something they're standing behind. They're not selling you a lemon. They're selling you something that says, yeah, you know, like I believe everything I've told you is true. And I believe that we can kind of continue to pay you know, the business will continue to be able to perform and support uh, this financing. So that is uh, something that we like to see. One thing that a lot of deals also have is something called escrow, which is when, um, you know, when you, you agree to a price, you look at all these legal documents that take forever to sort through. And uh, the in the legal documents, you basically certify that, you know, all the information you provided was true and there's no like outstanding legal action and all these things. And then a lot of deals will have something called escrow or a holdback where they take, pick a number, 10% of the deal price and they put it into an account held by like a lawyer's office or something for a certain period of time, six months to two years, depending on the situation. And it basically says, you know, assuming that everything that, we agreed to kind of pans out. Then after that period of time, you get the rest of the money. What we do is we don't have that escrow. We just have seller financing instead of that. Um, so people would get a certain cash payment and then they'll get seller financing paid out over a certain period of time. Um, I think one thing that some, some business owners have zero interest in seller financing, just hard no. Um, I would say that seller financing can be a very useful tool to bridge a valuation gap. Because if somebody is going to come and say, you know what, you think my business is worth a million dollars, I think it's worth one and a half million dollars, but I'm willing to give that difference to you in the form of a seller note with favorable sort of debt terms. You know, you can pay it all off at the end of, I don't know, five years or something like that. 
then that can be a very creative way to bridge a divide in the total valuation if a person is willing to be paid out over time. Because it makes things easier from our perspective because we don't have to provide as much cash up front. Um, and uh, we can get more comfortable with a slightly higher valuation if people are willing to provide seller financing. So it kind of works both ways. But I would say most transactions, not just with us, all transactions with us, most transactions, broadly speaking, you don't just get all your money on after you sign the documents. There's yep. there's a delayed portion of it. And that can be surprising for people. And they have to kind of get their heads around that. Yeah, I haven't seen it happen. I haven't seen one example of it happen. I'd like to, certainly if it was my own, but I've never seen it happen. Yeah. So Trish, I'd like to thank you yet again for coming on to the Tourpreneur podcast. Uh, excellent value for our listeners. I'm sure I will be promoting this around the group and in other places. I do think it's something that our operators tend just to park in the back of their head until the time comes. But we are certainly going to be encouraging them to pay attention to this part of the business much, much more. Because I know if they start preparing three, four, five years in advance, I know they're going to get bigger value when they actually come, come to sell the business. So it is certainly something that needs to be done in advance if they're going to release the value of the business. So once again, Trish, thank you very much for your time and all your knowledge. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. If anybody has questions, we talk to a lot of people that are not the right fit for us. But, you know, just people say, you know, this is my situation. Do you have any advice? That sort of thing. Um, so people can reach me at Trish at Chenmark, C-H-E-N-M-A-R-K uh, dot com. Always happy to chat. OK, I'll stick your details on the bottom of the video because this will go as videos as well as podcasts. Great. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Trish. Thank you. It's a pleasure.